Hi there, and welcome to the Grief and Rebirth podcast. I'm your host, author and trauma survivor, Irene Weinberg, here to encourage you wherever you are in your healing journey. In each episode, I chat with incredible grief and trauma specialists, healers, mediums, and celebs, as well as remarkable people who have inspiring healing stories to share. If you're looking for a podcast that's both uplifting and inspiring, you've found it. Let us help you find your joy in life. Hi, everyone. I hope this finds each of you so very well. I'm speaking to you from my studio in West Orange, New Jersey. Delighted to have this opportunity to reintroduce all of you to the incredibly wise Dr. Peggy DeLong, who is an accomplished psychologist, author, speaker, and grief therapist. Peggy is known as the gratitude psychologist because she teaches people how to harness the power of gratitude and joy to live their best lives, especially through difficult times. She does this through psychotherapy, her group program for healing grief called HEAL, her online monthly membership called Feeling Good with Dr. Peggy, online courses, and speaking engagements. She's also the author of three books titled I Can See Clearly Now, a memoir about love, grief, and gratitude, The Gratitude Journal, a 365-day gratitude journey, and Feeling Good, 35 Proven Ways to Happiness, Even During Tough Times. And she is the owner of Love in a Bracelet, where she designs bracelets for coping with grief and loss, mental health, and inspiration. Peggy and I had a terrific interview about her healing bracelets a few years ago. So that is why I said I have to reintroduce you to this wonderful, terrific, wise lady again. Today, she will be speaking to us from Long Valley, New Jersey, about the healing power of gratitude. I'm looking forward to talking with Peggy about harnessing the power of gratitude and joy to heal grief, bereavement, and loss. Spiritual signs she has received from her deceased father and fiance. Why she says there is no such thing as a negative emotion. Her five daily exercises in gratitude for healing grief and more for a sure to be comforting, insightful, and very feel good interview. Hey, Peggy, I should start by saying I'm grateful to be with you today. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me, Irene. So let's start everyone off with your inspiring story about the ways the deaths of both your beloved fiance and your precious dad were connected, including remembering dad's last run and celebrating his happy skiing. So we can introduce them to what started you on this path. Yes. What started me on this path was tragedy. When I was 26 years old, my fiance was diagnosed with cancer, and it was a very aggressive form of cancer. They told us he had about a 15% chance of survival, and I thought if anybody could beat this, it was him. He had already survived a horrific car accident. He was in a coma for three weeks. He was struck by lightning, and I just thought if anybody could beat it, it was him. Unfortunately, it was a very aggressive form, and he passed away seven months later, And it was during that time, though his last days in the hospital, when I discovered the power of gratitude through a simple cup of hazelnut coffee, when my world was turned upside down, when I felt like my future was dying with him, and I sat by his side when the doctor said there was nothing left that they could do for him. 
And every day was just filled with so much unpredictability. But the one thing that was predictable was that I could get a cup of hazelnut coffee and all of the visitors would leave at 8 p.m. and I was allowed to stay. And I would just sip that hazelnut coffee and write in my journal. And it brought me so much comfort. And at the time, I couldn't understand why. Now I know that what I was doing was practicing gratitude for something so simple and predictable when everything else was unpredictable. So unfortunately, he passed away at the age of 27. And then I went back home to live with my parents. I couldn't bear to live in the apartment that he and I had shared. So thankfully, my parents were nearby. And I was grateful for that time with my parents, because then suddenly my father died six weeks later. And they were very close. My father really felt like he lost a son, not a son-in-law, not a future son-in-law, but a son. They were so close. And I think that it was just so much for my father to bear seeing me in so much pain and his own pain. And I really think he died of a broken heart. He had had some heart trouble and really didn't want to do much about it, just wanted to live his life. So he went to heal his own wounds and went skiing. And he always told me that he wanted to die on a chairlift. He thought that that was where he felt closest to God, breathing in the cool mountain air. And two weeks before he passed away, he told me that that was the way that he wanted to die. And he went on a trip to Vermont by himself and passed away on a chairlift from a wow. sudden heart attack. Wow. 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 But is there something about celebrating his happy skiing? Yes. That, he that was a great yeah. story. Yes, he exuded happiness. Whatever he did, he just exuded happiness. He would run around my high school track on his days off and act like Rocky, punching the air, doing twirls, and he skied that way. He skied with his arms outstretched, doing giant sweeping turns across the mountain, and we called it happy skiing. He just exuded happiness. People could identify him just by his skiing. By his style. Yes, just by his style. So after he died, we knew that it was a heart attack. At the time, I was so in deep grief from my fiance and my father that at the time, I really didn't think about details. I didn't need to know anymore. Until last year, something just hit me that I wanted to know more. So I posted in a Facebook group for Okemo Mountain to see if anybody was there that day, if anybody could provide me with any details. And sure enough, because of his happy skiing, people remembered who he was. And of course, it was a tragic day for the Okemo Mountain, but people remembered. And one ski patroller even sent me the original digital copy of the newspaper article about my father's passing, which detailed exactly what ski patrol did after he died and getting him off the chairlift and what run they took him down. And I had skied that run before, but I didn't know that it was my father's last run. Wow. So I returned to the mountain with purpose and I skied that last run. And now it's really become, we call it the dad's last run. Oh, that's a beautiful story. It sounds like your father lived his life, like even with his passion for skiing with gratitude, that he had that and that he could do that all the time. Yes. Even that was a precursor to what you do. And I know you get spiritual signs every year on the anniversary of your fiance's death. And you received a special message from a medium. About your current husband, you want to tell us, because that kind of introduced you to the spiritual world. So, Yes, I was thrown into the spiritual world. After they passed away, I needed answers. I had never experienced grief before. And then all of a sudden, the two most important men in my life in one year died. 
So I was on a mission to search for any answers and I got my hands on anything spiritual, any book, any type of healing. And it was so helpful for me in my healing. So every year without fail on the anniversary of my fiance's passing, our wedding song comes on the radio and it then became his funeral song. And it now it's the title of my book. I can see clearly now But we thought that he would be in remission and make it to our wedding date. Unfortunately, he didn't. But the word, the lyrics of the song seemed appropriate, celebrating being in remission. Ironically, the words were also appropriate for his funeral. So it really was moving. I had two high school friends sing and play guitar at his funeral. And then when I was thinking about a title for my memoir, it was a perfect title. So without plays on the radio... And it's just music is my way to remain connected to him. And sometimes it's that song. Sometimes I hear the song that made him call me after we hadn't spoken in a year. He heard Sister Golden Hair by the band America on the radio. And it made him think of me and call me. And we went on that date. And then that was the beginning of our courtship and becoming engaged. Now, when I saw the medium, I saw three. But one of them in particular was talking about my future. And she kept repeating the name John throughout the session. She said, do you know a John? There's a John around you. There's going to be a John in your life. And at the time, I wasn't close with any John. So I'm starting to actually get annoyed. I'm like, I don't know a John. And she said at the very end, you are going to marry a John and he's going to be a teacher. Well, I ended up meeting a man whose name was John, but he wasn't a teacher. So I thought, well, she's half right. But then sure enough, my husband changed careers and became a teacher. So she was 100% right. I married a teacher named John. Oh, my gosh. Talk about, is this stuff real? Is is there something to all this? So now what inspires you to become the gratitude psychologist? And how does harnessing the power of gratitude and joy help to heal grief, bereavement, and loss? Because this is your whole, we talk a lot about grief on this podcast and coping with grief and all that. And it almost seems too simple to be true with all those deep, intense feelings. If you're just grateful for something, it's going to help you move through the devastation that you're feeling. Yes. And I always say that I kind of look at it twofold. First, it's to allow yourself to feel the pain, to feel the depth of the grief. And gratitude is one way to move forward, to not get stuck in that gut-wrenching pain. But first, we must feel. I don't believe in just immediately stuffing feelings and going to the positive. We need to feel the grief first. And I stumbled upon gratitude. I really considered myself an ungrateful teen, an ungrateful young adult. Yes. When I look back on my life, that's my only regret, that I was not more grateful sooner, that I didn't appreciate what I had in my life until everything had turned upside down. I felt like I lost my future when my fiance passed away. I felt like part of my childhood died with my father. And it was really through that cup of hazelnut coffee. And then it just extended to everything. Then I, as a psychologist, when I started learning about the science behind gratitude, then it became even more powerful for me. It used to be just, I trusted that whether it worked for me and my clients, but as a psychologist, I love the, the science behind the power of gratitude and what it does in our brains and how it truly helps us to see the world in a different way. And it doesn't make our problems go away, but it can be just enough of a shift to have a better day and for everything to feel a little bit lighter. 
Tell us about that science, Peggy. I mean, they've actually done research when someone says, thank you, their brain changes, or how does that work? Yes. Well, immediately when we're practicing gratitude, we get a dose of neurotransmitters in our brain that are responsible for elevating mood, particularly serotonin and dopamine. So serotonin is the neurotransmitter that's responsible for the that satiated feeling after a good meal or a wonderful conversation with a good friend. And when we are practicing gratitude, it's like we're saying to the universe, yes, I have enough of something. So we get that dose of serotonin and dopamine that helps us to feel good. And then on top of that, we have functional MRIs, the brain scans that show that when we practice gratitude on a regular basis, we are forming new neural pathways to be more positive thinkers. That takes a little bit more time, but the great thing is it feels good along the way. And then it makes you want to do it even more. And the beautiful part about gratitude is that over the course of time, it truly does become effortless. You see the world in a different way. And that is another part of the brain doing its job, the reticular activating system, otherwise known as the RAS. The RAS works as a filtering system. It helps us to pay attention to the things that matter to us and pay less attention or not even notice the things that bother us. And we get to tell it what to pay attention to. So when we practice gratitude, it's like telling our brains, you know, pay attention to the good, notice the good, highlight the good, and don't pay attention to what annoys you. And it truly helps you to see the world through a different lens. Then that translates to happiness and joy. Wow, that's fascinating. Really? I mean, the fact that it's backed by science is amazing. So your latest book is titled Feeling Good, 35 Proven Ways to Happiness, Even During Tough Times, which people are listening to us and saying, how can I be happy during these terrible times? What would you like to tell us about your book and how is accepting that life is not fair somehow connected to finding meaning in life? The book comes out of the question that I have received my whole life, and that is, what do you do to be so happy? And even after my fiance and my father died, I continued to get that question. It had a little bit of a different flair to it. It was more like, how are you not falling apart? But I still had joy in my life. So I thought, what do I do to give people this impression? And I thought really long and hard about it. And I came up with 35 different things that I do that take very little time or energy. These are things that work when we're grief stricken when our finances are low, our energy levels are low, that take very little time or energy because that's when we need them the most. And actually, most of these come from simple things that I did in my childhood when I was eight or 10 years old, and then just kept on doing them. I kind of knew intuitively what to do that made me feel better. And then I simply kept doing them. It's not rocket science. I just know that crafting makes me feel good. I know that going for a walk and getting fresh air makes me feel good. I know that time spent with my best friend elevates my mood with consistency and nature. Nature is one of the most predictable healers. So each chapter is a different, simple idea, things that work when we're really feeling low. And that the one about accepting that life is not fair, that really came from my father. That was one of my father's favorite phrases, that life isn't fair. And he said it in a very loving way. It wasn't a mean, get over it kind of way, because it was always followed up by the question, what are you going to do about it? So that I didn't get stuck in the unfairness of it all, because that's not helpful. I think it's important to feel sorry for yourself, allow yourself to wallow a little bit, but just don't get stuck there and then follow up with the question, okay, now what am I going to do about it? 
my next step. How am I going to navigate this? Yep. Yes. But when we accept that life is not fair, and that's how it is for everybody, nobody gets through life unscathed. Everybody has something they're dealing with at one point or another. And when we get into the comparison game or feeling that it's unfair, that it's simply not helpful. It doesn't help us grow. It doesn't help us learn what we can do to feel better. So that's the first chapter in my book, because (laughs) it's really important for all the other 34 chapters to grasp that. So now if you find meaning in life, you're saying that like accepting that life isn't fair, what are you going to do about it? It's about finding some kind of meaning to what's going on finding meaning, making the most of it. And I give the example of how my father, when he grew up in Union City, New Jersey, with two parents who didn't have a whole lot of money and they couldn't pay their bills. So they took in a tenant. They had a two bedroom apartment and they took in a tenant. My father was an only child. And that meant that the tenant got my father's bedroom. So my father's bedroom was a closet. And as a young child, he made the most of that closet. And he would tell me how he would set up a flashlight or a lamp and use his feet to make the clothes move and just watch the shadows. And he entertained himself in that tiny little closet. And he has always been just a wonderful person for finding the silver lining. But it really comes out of that his own experiences of poverty and overcoming poverty throughout his childhood that taught me what to do when we think that life isn't fair. Peggy, you talk about that there's no such thing as a negative emotion, but nobody wants to feel unwanted and painful emotions. So would you make sense of that? How there is such a thing, it feels like a negative emotion. Yes. yes. I avoid calling it negative because when we call our painful emotions negative, it makes us not want to feel them. Who would want to feel grief or disappointment, betrayal? But when we don't feel those emotions, we are shutting ourselves off to joy. The depth and our capacity to experience sorrow is in direct proportion to our capacity to experience joy. So when we shut ourselves off to sadness, we are unwittingly shutting ourselves off to joy. It's like emotional numbing, very similar to if you're having surgery and you need general anesthesia. You don't get to pick and choose what body parts go numb. You just don't feel. The same thing happens with our emotions. We don't get to just shut off emotional pain. When we do, we become numb, and then we also don't get to experience joy. And whenever I'm talking about methods of positive psychology, I always like to mention that they're always after we have allowed ourselves to feel pain. The the healing takes place in the feeling, whether that's sorrow, grief, betrayal, And then the methods of positive psychology work to move through it or any other method of healing, Reiki, all sorts of things. But I truly believe that we need to feel first. That's important and not to push your emotions aside. Exactly. So then you feel your emotions and then you're in a way dealing with them and moving towards that gratitude to find something to start to up your vibration. Yes. Yes. Going through. So. Let's talk about a gratitude mindset. What is that going to do for everyone if they adopt a gratitude mindset instead of being bitter and annoyed through the day and they're looking for things? What does that do for them? The brain does the work for us. And that's what I love. It starts with intention. It has to be a desire. Like with me, I wasn't looking for gratitude. I am so 
grateful that I stumbled upon it, it during my tragedy. It really happened naturally. I wasn't seeking it. It just happened with that hazelnut coffee. But for most people, it starts with intention, a desire. And then when practiced regularly, the brain picks up and does its job. The reticular activating system kicks in and you truly start to see the world in a different way. It's a kind of magical how it happens. And I love that the brain science behind it shows that. And in addition to brain science, I believe there's tremendous power in self-report, psychological research that involves people's self-report and people reporting that their lives have completely transformed by practicing wow. gratitude. Simple things like writing gratitude letters. One study looked at 300 college students who were diagnosed with clinical depression, and they were instructed to write gratitude letters to people. And they reported a significant boost in mood, not just at the four-week mark, but that it was maintained at the 12-week mark simply by writing gratitude letters. It's one of the most powerful things that we can do for ourselves. And the great thing is it feels good in the moment by getting that dose of serotonin and dopamine. It feels good while we're doing it. And then when we have a daily practice, it helps us to see the world in a different way, elevate mood, decrease the stress hormone cortisol, provide a sense of relaxation. It doesn't make our problems go away, but it helps us to see the world differently and to feel better and to pay attention to more attention to our blessings. It makes for a happier person. I would think that's the shorthand of it all, right? Absolutely. Um, I know that you have five daily exercises and gratitude that can be done in less than five minutes a day that help to heal grief. Would you like to go over them with us? Yes, yes. I love speaking about gratitude and I picked five of my favorites that really take people from the first seconds upon wakening in the morning to when the head hits the pillow at the end of the day. And particularly, I believe this is helpful for grief because that's how I found gratitude and used gratitude. So I know that it helped me and it helps my clients. So I think it works for anybody, but it's particularly powerful when we're going through a difficult time. So the very first exercise is simply to say the words, thank you out loud when you wake up and not even to be thankful or thinking about what you're grateful for. It's just the power of language by saying those two words, thank you. And the reason this is so helpful and powerful is because all of our lives, those two words, thank you, are associated with positivity. We don't thank people for crummy things. Nice. We thank people for nice things. So automatically the brain gets primed for positivity and it can be just enough of a shift to focus your brain on something positive by saying thank you rather than the worries of the day creeping in or your to-do list or being the heaviness of whatever problem you might be facing. It's just enough to put that at bay and to start the day on a lighter note before right. your feet hit the floor. And that takes two seconds. Um, that's exercise one. The next exercise is to set your intention at the beginning of the morning to be more aware of your blessings, to be more grateful during the day. And this can be done in the shower while brushing teeth. It doesn't need to take any more time. You can while do you're it. While you brushing teeth, you can be grateful for the fact that you have teeth. Yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, and, and toothpaste and a toothbrush. Oh, all of it. <laughs> and it might sound silly, but like our brain can't tell whether we're grateful for toothpaste or we're grateful that we have a car. As human beings, we assign the meaning to that, but our brains can't tell the difference. So when we highlight that something small is worthy of gratitude, it makes it feel good. 
Our brain can't tell distinguish the difference. But in exercise number two, it is harnessing the power of the reticular activating system by setting your intention at the beginning of the day to be more aware of your blessings. So it doesn't need to take more time. And this could simply look like while you're in the shower or brushing your teeth, saying to yourself or out loud, I'm going to be more aware of my blessings today. I'm going to pay more attention to all of the great things in my life and less attention to the things that annoy me. Simple statement, however your language sounds good to you. And I like to use the door frame of my bedroom as a reminder, like asking myself, have I set my intention yet? Because once we step out that door, all the other responsibilities, the dog needs to be fed, their bills have to be paid, the trash has to go out. But before we leave the bedroom, that's our time when in its sacred special time. So it's setting the intention And this works for anything, whether you're trying to drink more water or be kinder, whatever it is. When you set your intention in the beginning of the morning, it increases the likelihood of that happening through the power of the reticular activating system. You're telling your brain, this is important to me, pay attention. So now we've done exercise one and two, and it's taken still about two seconds because it's no extra time. Yeah, what's next? Number three is my favorite, and that is to express appreciation every day for one person. It can be in a text, email, phone call, FaceTime, handwritten letter, whatever feels good for you, and you could change it up every day, but make a point to express appreciation every single day for one person. And the reason this is powerful is because the number one factor that predicts happiness in life is our human relationships. And by expressing gratitude for somebody, you are increasing closeness. You're fostering closeness in a relationship. And you never know what that's going to bring you when you connect with somebody. I reached out to my third grade teacher. We found each other on Facebook and I reached out to her, uh, sent her a note And now she and I get together at least once a year for lunch. Oh, isn't that wonderful? Simply by writing a letter of thanks and letting her know how much she meant to me. You never know where a gratitude letter is going to take you. And in a time where loneliness is truly an epidemic, any time that you spend fostering your human relationships is time well spent. And the research shows that the person doing the expressing of gratitude is the one who receives more of a boost in mood than the one you're expressing it to. So in a way, you can consider it being selfish by expressing gratitude (laughs) because truly you get the bigger boost than the person receiving. So it's one way that we can take control of our own happiness and make somebody else feel good in the process. Your example with your teacher is like perfect. I can't get over you even remembered your third grade teacher. Yes, she was very special. The fourth exercise speaks to what I was saying before about there's no such thing as a negative emotion. So with this exercise, it's to use your emotional pain during the day as a trigger to practice gratitude. So if you're in traffic and you're feeling frustrated that you're stuck and you're going to be missing an appointment, that frustration, allow yourself to feel it, but then use it as a trigger to practice gratitude. So thinking about the gratitude for having that car gratitude for whatever meeting you might be going for, who you might see in those people. So then feel the pain and then use that as a trigger to find the silver lining or if there's a lesson in whatever you're experiencing. And sometimes that can be really difficult, especially involving a loss and grief. It can be really hard to see anything positive. Absolutely. And what I like to encourage people to do in those times, look at the underlying value. So for example, we're experiencing grief because we value love and human relationships. 
We might experience guilt in parenting because we value being a present parent. So the pain is related to a value. So uncover what that value is and then celebrate it, find a way to practice it. But that's one way to put into practice exercise number four, to use emotional pain as a trigger to practice gratitude. And number five is right at bedtime when your head hits the pillow is to reflect upon your day and think about two things that happened that day that you're grateful for. And to keep it focused on that day, not a week before, not a year before, focused on that day. And the reason is what happens the next day. So it feels good in that moment as you're recalling those events, but the magic really happens the next day because when you hold yourself accountable, then as you're going through your next day, you will actually highlight and notice more good things because you know you're going to hold yourself accountable at bedtime. It's like something happens and then you bank it in your brain and think, okay, that's a good one. I'm going to remember that at bedtime. So it helps you connect more to the present. It helps you notice more wonderful things and highlight them. So you get to experience more joy by doing that. And then you get another dose of it at bedtime by recalling it. And it's also just a nice way to fall asleep because we tend to bring into our sleep what we last talked about, thought about, read. So we can't control what's on the news or what we see on Instagram, but we can control our own thoughts. And by focusing on two nice things that happened that day is one way to help facilitate more restful sleep. And it's also a wonderful activity to engage in at three o'clock in the morning when you wake up with any worry thoughts. Unfortunately, when people have any type of worry or difficulty going in their lives, it tends to be three o'clock in the morning, and then those worry thoughts keep us awake. And one way to help get back to sleep is to focus on gratitude. That's great advice. And they're so easy to do, Peggy. And you also have a five-week group program for widows called HEAL. Yes. And cope with grief and loss. It's just for females, right? It's not for men. Just Yes. For now, I'm hoping to expand in the future, but for now, I'm I'm working solely with widows. Widows. So in what ways does HEAL help with mental health and personal development? And are you doing all of this online? Yes, it's all online. We meet weekly. And for the five weeks, I use each of those gratitude exercises that I just mentioned as the framework for the week. And then every day, participants receive one simple method for healing grief. And then it comes with a video and a downloadable sheet to help put into action. And then I give resources for podcasts and books and meditations to help put that idea into practice. Because the healing really takes place in two things, in the feeling, but then also in the doing. I like to inspire people, but it needs to go further than that, to take action. So I provide within the program HEAL simple things that people can do to take action to HEAL. Yeah, because you're stuck in a lot of ways. So you're giving them like baby steps, I guess, to move forward, right? Exactly. And they're all things that I did during my grief that worked for me and that are backed by research in psychology. That's great, Peggy. Also, you have an online monthly membership called Feeling Good with Peggy. It sounds good. (laughs) Tell us about that. And anything else you want to mention to us today? Sure. Feeling Good with Peggy is really the online companion program that goes with my book. So every month we have a theme and I deliver email inspirations with videos. And it's very similar to HEAL in that it comes with lessons to put into action, really to help people take action. I end every email with a sheet. The the end of the section says, take action. So you can't miss it. So really giving people... (laughs) 
simple ways for feeling good, including everything that's in the book, the 35 different ways toward happiness. What is your special offer for our Rebirth podcast audience today? My special offer is a downloadable sheet to help people put into action those five daily exercises that I just mentioned. And it's right on my homepage. It's a pop-up on my homepage that's very easy to find. It'll be right there on the website, drpeggydelong.com. Or you can also go to drpeggydelong.com backslash grief and fill out the form and it will be emailed to you right away. And you can download that sheet and put those five ideas into action right away starting tomorrow. And I'm sure that there'll be links to that on the show notes and everything that's coming out for this podcast also. So everyone stay tuned because it'll be coming out with that. And Peggy, why would you say that practicing gratitude is a universal healer. Why is it so important that people should heal, should do their healing work? Well, I'll start with the first one. It's a universal healer because gratitude truly is accessible to all of us at any second, any minute. Even when we think that we don't have anything to be grateful for, we truly do. And when we find it, when we uncover that, it helps us to feel better. I love that gratitude is accessible to all. It's free. It makes us feel good in the moment. And when we practice on a regular basis, it truly has positive consequences for long-term positive mental health. And I always say, don't wait for your good days to practice gratitude. Gratitude is truly most powerful on your most difficult days. Can you imagine if the world lived in gratitude, if all of us... It would be a wonderful place. But also the way gratitude works is that I see all of the good, that there's lots of horrible things going out there. And I don't ignore that they're not happening, but I choose to focus my energy on the things that are going well in life and donating to positive causes, spending time with people with positive energy. And that's kind of the way gratitude works. It starts to fill your life up with good. It doesn't change the fact that there's horrible things going on in the world, but it makes all of that feel less heavy. And then you're inspired to give in a way to address those problems. Peggy, how does allowing ourselves to feel the so-called negative emotions help us find joy in life? Be, it's I view it as a prerequisite that we truly need to feel our pain in order to experience joy. And it involves a tremendous amount of trust and faith that it will come. During grief, I remember when I didn't believe that I could be happy again. And slowly, joy started to creep back in. But I intuitively knew that I needed to face my grief head on and feel it and not ignore it and just allow myself to feel the heaviness of it all and to trust that when I did that, slowly every day I would be able to experience more joy, where if I didn't allow myself to feel, I would be shutting myself off to joy. You not feel the painful emotions, but you wouldn't be able to feel the wonderful emotions either, right? Exactly. And it involves a tremendous amount of trust that it will happen. Well, that's great. Listen, Peggy, you continue to change lives in simple, meaningful ways that help people live their very best lives, even when they're going through difficult times. You're a wonderful role model and you're a gift to so many. Thank you from my heart for another comforting, insightful, feel-good interview with you. And here's a very loving reminder, everyone, that you can see the show notes and all Grief and Rebirth podcast episodes 
on IreneWeinberg.com. And make sure to follow us and like us because we know you do on social at Irene S. Weinberg on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. And if you're watching here on YouTube, please be sure to check subscribe below so you'll never miss an episode. As I like to say in my positive, grateful way to be continued, many blessings and bye for now.